NATO's defense ministers are gathering in Brussels on the 15th of February, where the discussion on Russia and Ukraine's military assistance will be shadowed by Donald Trump's suggestion that the US might not protect NATO allies who aren't spending enough on defense from a potential Russian attack. All this is happening ahead to the Munich Security Conference on the 16th until the 18th of February, where some of the world's top officials and politicians will be discussing defense. But how seriously can we take Trump's statements? And how could this shape NATO's and the world's ability? I am Evi Chiori. Welcome to Reactive's Beyond the Byline podcast. Alexandra Brzozowski, you are Euractiv's Global Europe and Defense reporter, and you will be following these talks very closely. How do you explain Donald Trump's statement? Is this worrying? Because it's not the first time that he says this. Is he right? I think that's really the one million dollar question that European leaders try to answer for themselves at the moment, because when Trump made the comments during his first term, European defense spending was at a very different point. It indeed was not very high. And for some European NATO countries, it was still driven by austerity mentality after years of um, financial crisis. So back then you could say he was not entirely wrong about Europeans not spending enough on defense. But We have to remember that it was also a very different geopolitical context, which arguably did not raise the immediate need to increase defense spending itself. So back then, Trump might have been right with his criticism, which is something that when you ask NATO diplomats these days, they privately do increasingly admit. But the situation especially in the past two years, has significantly changed with Russia's invasion of Ukraine in 2022. Compared to before, we've seen some quite unprecedented changes, a shift towards a more security conscious mentality and also the urgency that has obviously not been really there before. So what's the situation with the European countries? So when you look at the EU defense spending, it, it realistically it increased by 6% compared to 2021. So that's eight years of consecutive growth uh, in a while. Um It's true that only nine European countries are currently spending the required 2% target of NATO. But looking at the upward trend, experts expect that a significant number of countries are actually going to meet that target in three to five years. And then we have the ongoing debate about how the 2% goal is actually calculated. Okay, but this 2% goal that you're mentioning, just understand a little bit better. How is it calculated? Last year, before the Vilnius summit um, in July, NATO has been actually looking at defining a new defense spending commitment. So some members, especially the Eastern Europeans, um, were saying that the 2% target is actually too low. Defense spending should be increased, according to them. Mm -hmm. Then NATO members with rather smaller GDPs, such as Italy, said that they believe that the 2% target is too high. And they would have preferred to focus spending on other areas than defense. Um, I mean, it does make sense, that one. It does make sense. But there's also those that increasingly argue that, you know, there needs to be additional measures um, how to calculate uh, the 2%. And this would go beyond money and more into what actual commitments member states can provide to collective security, such as hard capabilities. Um, When we think about um, some countries providing brigades to to the eastern flank or or operating uh, other systems. So it's an ongoing reform discussion, which I think might get new wins now after those comments. Do you think such discussions will satisfy Trump if elected? How seriously can we take his threat to withdraw from NATO? 
So I think one fact remains is that Europeans will remain and are far behind of the United States in, in terms of spending. This is unlikely to change. Um, there's those that argue that um, Trump's comments of abandoning NATO are uh, a potential bluff ahead of the November elections. But when you speak to most NATO diplomats um, in Brussels, they do take those threats relatively seriously. But could we say that the situation has been different since Biden came to office? So after Trump lost to Biden in 2020, it seemed a bit like everything had gone back to normal when it comes to transatlantic relations. Biden, as a lifelong transatlanticist, had also largely repaired the damage that um, Trump uh, did to NATO. But it also might have created a false sense of uh, security in some way. But, But there's increasingly the sense in Brussels that um, and both, not only in, in in NATO headquarters, but also around the EU quarter, that Europeans need to somehow brace for, for impact. And as we mentioned, we have NATO defense ministers meeting in Brussels on Thursday. Do you expect contingency planning talk? So we can expect that this certainly will drive the conversation this week. Um, but also looking towards the 75th anniversary summit um, in Washington in July, we probably can expect that there will be some frantic internal wargaming for the eventuality that Trump actually wins the uh, November elections. Mm-hmm. There's also increasingly a sense that you know Europe seems not to be able to fully count on U.S future support, which already is a problem when it comes, uh, for example, to the issue of Ukraine aids, which is held up in the US Congress. Um, But especially in that case, Trump has kind of shown that his influence over the Republican Party um, can force a legislative package to stall, even though he's not fully elected yet. Indeed. And the question remains, how serious is Trump with this? In the end, his comments are probably more damaging when it comes to his suggestion that Russia can, and um, here I quote, do whatever the hell it wants uh, to NATO members that don't spend enough. So in translation, that kind of means we're not going to protect you, even though there's Article 5, even even though there's the mutual defense clause. So in the current geopolitical context, this resonates probably more than um, what he has said the first time around. Now, if the U.S. removes itself as a core partner of the alliance, how would that shape NATO's and the world's stability and future? Worst case, it could technically be the end of the alliance and to some extent um, also to Europe's current security architecture, which if, if, if we look at yeah, if we look at it, it already has cracks since Russia's invasion of Ukraine. So speaking to experts, they point out the fact that replacing the American capability NATO would lose without the US would possibly take decades and also billions of years. So a more fundamental question then would be whether Europeans are actually able to come together and defend themselves without US involvement. So where does this lead then? What this can do is effectively help Europe somewhat refocus its own strategic compass when it comes to taking more care of its own security as a whole. So many military officials we speak to these days argue that Europe doesn't just need to rebuild armies, so hard capabilities, but it also needs some kind of change of mindset towards actually perceiving those threats as what they are. One good example was obviously Ukraine. I mean, even though the second war anniversary is is coming up, the war and the implications still are kind of abstract. uh, Yeah, Yeah, but they're very abstract to many Europeans. And there's not so much 
left of that sense of urgency that um, was there in the first few months of the war, um, especially in Western Europe, that you know threats have been neglected. And yeah, that is true. That is true. The very first months, uh, everybody was asking for more action and other things. Either is that we are making this a normality or either we don't really understand the, the complications coming from it. So that's a lot of doom and gloom as you're heading to the Munich Security Conference this weekend, which is often dubbed uh, the devils of defense. Do you think this is going to be the main topic? So beyond Trump, I think the core question will be certainly how Ukraine can shore up enough Western support and keep the focus on on um, its security issues. Zokrama, gotujemosh do Munchenskoy bezpekovoy konferencii. Bashlivoy ne lishe And in a video posted on X, President Zelensky mentioned that Ukraine is preparing for the Munich Security Conference, an important platform not only for Europe but also for the world, where Ukraine will present its vision for the year. So how do you see his presence there in terms of influence in the talks? It's it's not fully confirmed whether Ukraine's President Zelensky will be there, but um, the general expectation is that he will show up in person and also with a rather large Ukrainian delegation. At the same time, the U.S. will have the largest delegation to date. So mm-hmm. we will definitely see some sideline talk um, on those issues and also probably some attempts by European leaders to well, help to make the decision on the other side of the Atlantic. Mm. And what does a larger delegation signal? Well, a larger delegation for sure means that also in light of the comments made this week and and the general impression that uh, there's some kind of U.S. disengagement from from uh, Europe, it does mean that the Biden administration wants to show strong. Well, their, their presence. Mm. And what else will be driving the agenda? The second biggest topic is likely to be Israel's war on Gaza. Um, we know that Israel's President Isaac Herzog will be one of the guests, but potentially also Prime Minister Netanyahu. Though for security reasons, usually the Israeli government is uh, only making the final commitment shortly before the event. But uh, it could be very interesting to watch of how Europeans try to um, well reason with Tel Aviv over, over the recent uh, escalation. What about Russia? Once again, the elephant in the room will certainly be Russia, who is actually excluded from this year's guest list. Uh, We've reported actually earlier this week that there is a general feeling of uncertainty in Europe as uh, top military officials um, are warning that Russia may aim to undermine NATO in the coming decade. So in that sense, you know, and taken together with Trump's comments earlier this week, uh, their words might actually resonate more than usual. Um, Also because many of those officials are usually known for their discretion and lack of alarmism. So having all of those countries, uh, NATO chiefs of defense, um, stating clearly what the threat might be or what they see as the threat in the next few years, um, I think might might be actually a big part of what the conversations will be this weekend. Right. But how is it having all these officials in one room? If you could take us with you, how can we imagine the atmosphere to be there? I think that's why, you know, the description Davos of defense is actually very accurate because what you have on the center stage and on the panels is usually 
one side of the story, the, the actual talks, the actual negotiations and, and uh, crisis management is happening in the sideline talks or in, in the rooms inside the Bayerische Hof, which, which are very restricted from, from the public. So um, in many ways, it's more of a forum to meet on the sidelines rather than the public announcements that are made, which are obviously resonating more than, than what we see um, in, in the public. Thank you, Alex. I am Avikiori and this was your Active's Beyond the Byline podcast. Visit your Active to stay on top of the latest news, sign up for our podcast newsletter. And if you haven't subscribed yet, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. This episode was produced by myself, Miriam Sainz de Tejada and Nicoleta Yonta. Thank you for tuning in and until next time. As part of our commitment to accuracy, inclusion and transparency, Euractiv is part of the Trust Project.